Welcome to Letters Read, the ongoing series of readings from various times and communities in New Orleans and Louisiana. This is Jeff Munsterman narrating. Nancy Sharon Collins, stationer, Letters Read director, usually reads the intro and outro. However, this production is recorded in New Orleans. Ms. Collins is presently in New York. This is the final Letters Read in its sixth consecutive season. Look forward to more programming next year. As the name suggests, the program is about letters, personal and business. From institutional archives, special collections, private and commercial libraries. Other forms of written correspondence are presented too, like faxes, text messages, even letters picked up from the street. Check out these streetwise missives in the most recent letters read, Incubator Podcast 9. Today's presentation comprises email interviews and transcription material from remote recordings. Continuing the 2022 programming theme, Lady Louisiana Artists, allow me to present commercial artist Megan Rain Gladden. Commercial art being an old-fashioned term for graphic design. It means artist for hire, a contractual agreement between a client and artist, in which the artwork's message is that of the client and not the artist's. Gladden's Bachelor of Art degree from Louisiana State University is graphic design, a field in which she has practiced and advanced her entire career, a Herculean feat to accomplish growing up and working in South Louisiana where this trade has been compared to bricklaying. As a matter of fact, I bet bricklayers, valued work, probably make more than do graphic designers here. Gladden is a Louisiana native, cisgendered woman, 37, identifying as she-her. Shadow Angelina Starkey reads as Gladden. By way of introduction, I am a poet, Editor and book artist from Plaquemines Parish, now living in New Orleans's Holy Cross neighborhood. Shadow is a Cajun and indigenous poet and photographer whose family has called New Orleans home since 1727. This podcast is dedicated to supporter and lover of poetry, Diana. We begin with a written questionnaire, emailed back and forth in September 2022 between Collins and Gladden. I read the questions. Shadow answers as Gladden. <clears throat> Tell me a bit about your early childhood. What was your earliest memory? I was born to a small wooden house on Elbow Bayou, just off River Road. My parents referred to this hippie dirt road collective as being akin to a nudist colony. The home I was born into did not have indoor plumbing until my mother insisted it be installed in time for my potty training. All indication point to it being a very happy period in my parents' lives. After all, unhappy women do not marry men who live in homes with outhouses. My first memory is the one that marked the beginning of the end of that period. In 1989, Tropical Storm Allison caused the bayou to rise rapidly in the early morning hours. My parents, having little money at the time, frantically went into the floodwaters, rising over four feet at the time, to push the family car to higher ground. 
a feat that was much easier on my father, who was a big man, but quite another story for my mother, a Cajun woman who stood at only five feet. I woke to an empty house and went out onto the porch. Do you remember your grandparents? My maternal grandparents lived in Houma, Louisiana, and their house always smelled of rice pudding and room temperature bananas. I saw them every few months until there was a rift when I was nine years old. After that, I saw my grandmother infrequently for many years until an accident brought the family back together. Blood bonds have a way of never really breaking in this way. I'm grateful to have developed a personal relationship with my maternal grandmother, Mama, when she moved to New Orleans in her late 70s so that more family could share in her care. During the years we both lived in New Orleans, I spent every Monday night at her apartment, a commitment I proposed to give my aunt and mother an extra night off from her constant care. We talked and occasionally watched sitcoms. I adored the times when she'd tell me some schoolgirl tale that my current life reminded her of, especially when it was about my grandfather. At the time, there were darker aspects about my home life that I did not share. Let's be honest, in South Louisiana, no one wanted to know what was happening behind closed doors during that era. But she would tell me stories that made me feel less alone. Stories that confirmed the very nature of romantic relationships and their toxicity in the Deep South. My paternal grandfather passed away when my father was a toddler. His military legacy is still bragged on by my uncle today. He was a professor at West Point and was teasingly referred to as beauty during his time there. My paternal grandmother was a very different kind of grandma. She had once been a model and been named Miss Kentwood. She later used her beauty to never work a day job in all her 83 years. She lived in New Orleans for a time and loved to paint, considering herself an artist, though I do not know if she ever sold her work. She married seven times and was the type of woman my mother referred to as an eating disorder carrier. When she became unable to paint, my father would bring her beautiful paper and felt-tip pens. She drew scenes of New Orleans and Louisiana. I'll, I'll try to find a few to send to you. They're a bit folksy. My father was devoted to her care and was proud of his ability to provide for her in later life. What did you do for play or recreation? My parents never hesitated to provide art supplies. I think it stemmed from my grandmother being an artist and my quick embrace of all things that included making. Drawing, painting, woodworking, and digital painting when the technology emerged. None of it was remarkable, but I enjoyed the play aspect of making. Were stories or fantasy important while growing up? Did you ever make make-believe or make up your own stories? I don't recall anything like this. My childhood was not terribly childlike. When Gladden was two, her grandmother noticed something unusual about her physical development. She was maturing rapidly, appearing to be headed towards puberty. She was diagnosed with central precocious puberty, CPP, a rare condition. It happens when the body matures sooner perhaps years earlier than expected. In Gladden's case, nine years premature, 550% faster than usual. For this condition, 
She was treated at Tulane Lakeside Hospital's pediatric clinic. From the age of two, at the age of 11, treatment stopped. As Gladden explained, an age natural for a girl to go into menses. There was no follow-up care. Collins and Gladden have known each other for well over a decade, serving together on the New Orleans chapter AIGA Executive Board. AIGA is the Professional Association for Design, 40,000 members strong nationwide when they both were active. Collins, like Gladden, holds a BFA in design and an MFA in it also. She had her own practice in New York before moving down here in 2004. Explaining a bit, Collins's interest in commercial art and artists. Gladden always impressed Collins. Collins explains. When something's not right, Gladden lets stakeholders know. In few, brilliant, simple words, she conveys what's on her mind in a professional or personal situation and nails what needs to be said exactly. Gladden is much younger. Collins is about Gladden's mom's age. When Gladden asked Collins to mentor her, the answer was immediately yes. Over time, the roles reversed. Now, they're just friends. Gladden was chosen as the subject for this podcast for three reasons. A. She is a card-carrying Lady Louisianian. B. She is an artist, albeit a successful commercial one. And C. Her lemons to lemonade story should be told. You see, before March 2022, Collins knew nothing about Gladden's central precocious puberty. When they met for brunch that early March with Sam, Samantha, another former AIGA board member, Gladden was walking with a cane. Collins knew about Gladden's travails managing her disability and never knew the details or the backstory. Blithely, as if it were common knowledge, Sam mentioned Gladden's early onset puberty at two, the CPP thing. For Collins, it was a conversation stopper, most likely saying, Huh? And asking, From when you were two to eleven, the pediatric clinic gave you puberty blockers, then just stopped? No follow-up? Collins found this incredible. If there had been, might Gladden's medical history look differently? Tough to tell. Wanting to know more, and with Gladden's permission, she contacted Howard Tilton Memorial Library, Tulane University Special Collections, for details about those years in the pediatric clinic. Two individual archivists responded in long form, the way people involved in research tend to. After a couple of very thorough, thoughtful emails, here's an excerpt of what they came up with, convoluted, the way big institutions tend to. Thursday, October 20, 11.43 a.m. Because your patient's clinic seems to have been associated with Tulane Medical Center, I'm sure that Megan's records were kept wherever the patient records of the TMC hospital went, were, are archived. TMC would be considered a completely different organization than Tulane School of Medicine, 
and its patient records would be a completely different data set than even TMC's archival organizational records. 30 years old might have been purged by now. My best suggestion to you would be to contact TMC or maybe Tulane Lakeside Hospital, which is where pediatrics services are provided. There is an email link to the medical records department where you might be able to ask whether they would have her records directly to inquire about old patient files and their whereabouts and contact the pediatrics clinic directly. Maybe the old file cabinets still exist and hold records of the early days of the program. I'm sorry that I cannot offer any more concrete information for you. Sincerely, Ann E. Smith Case University Archivist. Does it matter? To Collins? Yes. Maybe a clue to Gladden's physical condition now would be in those files, those 30-plus-year-old files of what that clinic was doing. It was possible. A snowball's chance in hell. But maybe, just maybe... Those old file cabinets still exist and hold records of the early days of the program. Back to the interview. I continue reading questions and shadow Gladden's answers. What was your favorite job? What was your least favorite? Least favorite was my first architecture firm in New Orleans. I'd rather not name drop. My favorite job came next working for Askew, Dumez, and Ripple. It was a firm that lived and breathed design. I was exposed to incredible architecture, cutting-edge ecological research and concepts that made me fall in love with the profession of design in a way that was leaps and bounds beyond graphic design. They treated everyone on staff as part of the team in many ways. I could attend lunch and learns and participate in anything in the firm to whatever degree I could contribute. This led to amazing opportunities, long nights, and years of hustle that I couldn't repeat today for all the money in the world. Would you consider yourself a maverick or a regular worker? Tell me some of your most vivid memories of working. I suppose if I have to choose between the two descriptors, I would be a maverick. I don't care much for the idea of status quo if it doesn't work for those who experience it. I like to explore things, bring forward new strategies and insights in order to reinvent. Did you need to learn any special trade or how to use a specific kind of equipment or machine? Typewriter, phone, adding machine or heavy equipment? No. If so, was the training provided or did you have to seek it yourself? Was there specific training for what you did? Was finding the kind of work you like to do challenging in any way? I stumbled into the work I like to do. I think a better way to say that would be that I didn't shy away from new experiences and challenges. I've always enjoyed the digging and seeking insight to redefine the problem, sometimes more than designing the solution. At my last firm, I was exploring how to do the work I was hired to do, and found that the best way forward was one that had nothing to do with the traditional forms of brand development. That's how I became involved with employee experience and culture strategy work. They secretly had all the brand ambassadors someone in my position could work for, so I worked on ways to help make those folks louder. They already had all the makings of a fire. I just had to figure out where to light the match. 
as it turned out, I was good at that. Did you come across any bias or discrimination in the workplace? Yes. It's not always been easy to be a short, curvy Southern woman in a male-dominated industry, architecture and design. I've been talked over, looked at, condescendingly called sweetheart, smacked on the ass and forgotten about when promotions rolled around. At one point, Gladden came to terms with the fact that career advancement in her native state, Louisiana, was not possible. She sought and achieved new positions up north. Her salary increased, responsibilities and titles too. Still, she continued noticing and experiencing discrimination in the workplace. Bias. Based on race, gender, place of origin, education level, and increasingly her own sensitivity towards discrimination against persons with disabilities became a reality she could not ignore. In her elegant, precise manner, Gladden set about taking action, utilizing coping mechanisms, management skills, and language she may have begun to learn as a child. We go back to her early years in the interview. Did you play with friends in your neighborhood? Were they your own age? Not until I was around 12. The exception before then was the daughter of a black family that lived nearby. She was the only girl my age that my mother knew, so my mom invited her over to play on the occasional quiet weekend afternoon. Once my mother sensed that the girl's mother felt some obligation, she stopped calling. We were very aware of race dynamics in rural Louisiana. Our house was positioned centrally between a road with nothing but white, self-identified redneck families and a road with nothing but black, low-income families. My parents seemed to be the only people around who socialized with residents from both directions, even though they knew not to ever try to intermingle the two. I remember being aware not to mention to the rednecks that our black friends had swam in the pool as they would have refused to attend our pool parties. This began the part of my identity, which evolved to be a vocal advocate for equity and justice. In the South, the part of me that believed in equity was politely overlooked because people liked me. Later, when I moved out of the South, that same part of me was recognized as an asset, something that needed to be taught and to lead others. When I was older, I began to play regularly with the children of the redneck families because those were the only peers I had. This was a bit like visiting chaos in a way that was fun compared to my very quiet home life. It also taught me to defend myself and a lot about the ugliest parts of humanity, as they were often unapologetically on display. How does one get from down here to a successful career and life all the way up there? Talent? Brains? Guts? Megan Rain Gladden. Determined kid from a small wooden house on Elbow Bayou that her parents referred to as a hippie dirt road collective akin to a nudist colony. Now, associate, brand experience manager in the Midwest, Gladden has built a successful career through the lens of equity and inclusivity, cognizant of humanity's shortcomings, building voices to carry underserved messages. Always, always moving in a forward direction. During the interview process for this podcast, 
it was noticed that the subject of Gladden's disability was not mentioned. Interesting, thought Collins. As the short, curvy gal from the Deep South, with a continuing, often debilitating history of medical issues, explained to Collins in a follow-up phone call, transcribed and read here, explaining, perhaps, how she always makes lemonade from lemons. Um, so, I guess the health angle is that, the way I like to describe it, is if anyone's ever owned a car they call a lemon, it came from a good brand. But the thing never quite worked. I am a lemon. So I've been a lemon since day one. And it's like the parts are all there. It seems like it should work, but it just doesn't. And that's always been a part of the story. And it's honestly one I forget about because I'm one of these people that the minute I'm happy and good again, I'm often running in whatever direction I was in originally, which is why I completely forgot to include it in the questionnaire. Two additional notes Collins wanted me to add. One, women's health care in this country has and is chronically underserved. And two, as this script was being finished, Gladden did get through to a live person in the pediatric clinic where she was once treated. Shadow reads Gladden's email with the results. I submitted the formal records request online. When I tried calling, there was no one interested in even remotely discussing records dating back more than 10 years. They were adamant that no records would exist in old filing cabinets or their offices. I did my best friendly Southern please help voice, but it went nowhere. LOL. I'll let you know if I hear anything back from the formal request. Hope you're doing well. Megan Rain. Unironically, to the date of this recording, there has been no follow-up Information. Jeff Munsterman signing off. Thank you, Shadow, my life and work partner, whose own body, like Gladden's, is a lemon. So I get it. I get it. Thank you, everyone, for listening and supporting Letters Read. Contribute directly by going to lettersread.net forward slash donate. For information about disability rights, go to lettersread.net forward slash resources. There you will also find a link to more information on the history of graphic design in South Louisiana. Stay tuned for the next Letters Read in 2023, the seventh consecutive season. And Happy New Year!